I'm Riley. And I'm Ronnie. And this is the Plan to Eat podcast, where we have conversations about meal planning, food, and wellness to help you answer the question, what's for dinner? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Plan to Eat podcast. Today, we got to interview Joy Manning. She is a food journalist and editor based in South Philly, and we got to talk to her about spring seasonal foods. This podcast covers so much juicy information about uh, what's in season for spring, all the beautiful vegetables that are in season, how to cook them, and some great recipes to try. We loved talking to Joy, and we know you guys will love this episode too. Welcome, Joy, to the Planty Podcast. We kind of want to get started today just to get a little bit, get to know you a little bit. Well, that sounds very nice. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, Riley. It's great to be here with you both today. Um, yeah. What do you want to know? Oh, I was just going to ask you just to tell us about yourself and your food journey. Sure. I am a, a writer who focuses on food and health, and I have been a very long time. I started my writing career in 2005 when I covered rest, mostly restaurants at that at that time. Um, along the way, I got to be also, I mean, I was always very interested in health, but um, I sort of professionally merged them when I made a move to Prevention Magazine as their nutrition editor, where I got to work on my two favorite topics. And then after that, I became a full-time freelancer where I have been combining both ever since. I am an author. Um, my most recent book is called, Is Our Food Killing Us? Which is every bit as, up, every bit as upbeat as it sounds. Spoiler, the answer <laughs> is yes. Um, and I do recipe development as well. I work on a, I work on cookbooks, sometimes mine, sometimes other people's. Um, I last year did a big chunk of recipes for uh, Joe Yonan's forthcoming cookbook, which is going to be titled Mastering the Art of Plant-Based Cooking. And I do um, uh, journalism. I am the editor of Edible Philly, and uh, my work has appeared in places like the Washington Post and the Philly Inquirer. Inquirer so yeah, that's sort of like where I am today, trying to bring all of my interests together uh, um, at the intersection of food and health. I love the way that communicates so fully what you do. I love that. Got a lot of irons in the fire. Usually, yeah. I'm try trying to consolidate my irons. That's one of my 2022 resolutions. I love that. That's uh, It's fun to do what you love, um, but sometimes you do have to consolidate. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So how did you become a food critic? Um, well, as I mentioned, I started writing about food and restaurants in 2005. I actually had started at that. It was a city regional magazine. I had started the year before as a copy editor, um, you know, making sure that every word in the magazine adheres to the style guidelines and catching every little um, typo, which is, you know, I thought that I thought it was a great job and it is a great job. But as I was involved in the life of the magazine, I just found myself gravitating more toward the restaurant and food content. Restaurants are really fun. Um, my husband and I had always really loved going to restaurants. Who doesn't? And this was at a time when in media, budgets were becoming trimmer and trimmer, and they were eliminating the position of food editor at the magazine where I worked. So I, I had said at the time, I raised my hand, I said, um, let's just add food editor onto the job I already have. So I can do this more interesting stuff. I think I, I can do it. I like to work hard. I love to work long hours. It's, you know, I was a crazy young person. And uh, 
that's what happened. That's, you know, and then I did that job for several years. I really loved it. I met a lot of chefs. Um, I wasn't exactly doing restaurant criticism in that role. It was more like dining scene reporting. But then my next move was to Philadelphia Magazine as their restaurant critic, which is a job everybody thinks they would love, but is hard, less pleasant than it sounds. Let's put it that way. I did it for perhaps three years and I realized a couple of things. One of them was I wanted to be more of a cheerleader for restaurants than a critic. I really wanted to build up these small businesses that were so passionate about the same thing that I was passionate about rather than sort of tear them down. Um, And I was really interested in the cooking part of it. I would find myself talking to chefs, just asking them my, because I always interviewed the chef for the review and I would find myself spending a lot of time just getting the nitty gritty details of how they made the X, Y, or Z things, not so that I could write about it in the review, but so that I could make it. And then I went to, from there to Tasting Table, which was an online culinary publication where I could do the exact kind of work. I uh, was the founding editor of the, there at the time, there was an edition of the email publication called Chef's Recipes Edition. And I worked every week with a different chef to create a recipe for the home cook. And that was very fun. But at that point, I was, I guess, in my middle 30s, and I was starting to think about my health. And um, I had always been interested in health. And when I got the opportunity to make the leap to Prevention Magazine as nutrition editor to cover um, the health aspects of food, I jumped at that chance. And that was basically my last full-time role. I um, went from there to becoming a freelancer where I was able to do everything I had ever done before (laughs) at the same time. So today I write recipes for books and magazines and websites. I write health articles for health insurance companies and, you know, consumer publications alike. I write restaurant content for Open Table, uh, which is the reservation platform that you probably know and love, um, and many other random things. Oh, that's amazing. That's the whole story. That's really I love cool. that you said, yeah, I love that about you didn't want to criticize. You wanted to be cheerleader for these company or these restaurants. I love yes. that. That's yeah. the type of thing you don't quite get until you start doing it. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel good to be picking apart a restaurant for, you know, they there was a shell in the in the crab dish, you know, which is the type of human mistake that anybody could make or there was um you know, some, some issue, some small issue with like their table linens, you know, it was, that was my job at the time, but it didn't feel great. So with all of these things that you've done in the food world, what do you feel like has been your most favorite? I think my most favorite thing is anything that I can do, whether it is um, an article or a recipe that empowers people to take charge of their health in their home kitchen. That certainly resonates with us because we are to- totally all about people cooking at home and just taking control of that aspect of their life. And um, just really like, I don't know, kind of going back to the good old days, like where everybody ate at home and cooked for themselves. So we're all it's about that. Not only a huge health upgrade, it's a huge quality of life upgrade. That's how I mean, that's how I feel about it. Like for me at our house, dinner is a special occasion every day. That's awesome. I bet you I bet you cook really fancy meals for your family. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. <laughs> Sometimes they're pretty simple. Tonight, we're going to have uh, black bean tostadas, which are 
pretty easy to put together, but very tasty. So the main thing that we wanted to bring you here to talk about is seasonal eating. Um, anybody who's been listening to the Plenty podcast this year knows that we are going to do a four-part series where we talk about each season. Um, and right now we're talking about spring. And so we just kind of want to hear kind of your stance on seasonal eating and maybe some of the things that you do to eat seasonally. I am a big fan of seasonal eating. I am a farmer's market regular, uh, you know, a CSA regular. I love to visit a farm when I can. I'm a big fan not only of local and seasonal produce, but sort of any kind of artisan food product that I can get my hands on. I think it's fun and good to support your local economy. And I happen to think that when it comes to fruits and vegetables, like local and seasonal, you're not going to do any better in terms of flavor. It's just not possible. We wholeheartedly agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times cost wise. When you break it down, it's pretty interesting um, to find that to be true. I think it's, I think it's, there's a misnomer that eating local and in season would be more expensive. Um, Why do you think that is? I think that there, it definitely can be, Um, though it, depends a lot on the specific farm, the practices they're using, the ingredient and the time of year. But certainly where I live, I live in Philadelphia. In the summertime, you can get a majorly good price on say tomatoes or blueberries at the height of their season, strawberries. Um, And I think the misconception comes from um, artificially low prices sometimes that we have at the supermarket because of commodity products and um you know subsidies but i do think if you shop smart like there are ways to shop the farmers market to really get great deals if you ask a farmer for bulk bulk buys for example like a whole flat of some kind of produce that you want to can say or store in your freezer that can be a huge source of savings or they call them seconds which are slightly imperfect versions of whatever it is they can also be a huge value a lot of that, you can learn it in and outs of that by getting to know your farmers and asking them questions. Um, so I would say that's the biggest way to save money. And I think most people don't necessarily know about that. So that might be one reason why it seems like it can cost a lot more. Um, yeah. And I think when you go to the regular supermarket, you um, you just miss that. You just don't get the opportunity to interact with the people that are producing the food and learning, the learning that comes with that. Oh, I did want to mention all of this supply chain stuff that's happening right now and prices at the supermarket are going up so much. Prices at the farmer's market are not really going up. So they've become more competitive recently. Oh, that's awesome. So I would encourage people to take a second look if it's been a while since they checked out prices at their local farmer's market. Mm -hmm. We live in Colorado and I think that um, we do have a a winter farmer's market, but it's just not as popular as the summer one. So even mm-hmm. just remembering that you can do a year round with another little tip because then the people could go and go, go now. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been hitting up my winter farmer's market. It's every other week. It's actually not going to happen this weekend because it's going to snow. But every other weekend I have been there. And there's a farmer who grows greens, like beautiful spinach in their greenhouse. Uh, there's you know, I got little baby kohlrabi there recently with the leaves all still attached and it was so delicious. Awesome. That's what you cannot, you can't even see that at a farm or at a regular supermarket. You don't never, that never crosses your path. Not at all. No, one of the things that I think I've made is a mistake of like shopping, of 
uh, thinking that the farmer's market is way more expensive is I'll do a lot of my produce shopping at the farmer's market and then I'll go to the regular grocery store and buy extra things at the grocery store because I'm not, you know, then filling up my cart with the regular produce. And so then, Mm -hmm. you know, that week I maybe spent way more on groceries than I normally would have. And it was just kind of the like mindlessness of uh, filling up my cart with extra things since it wasn't filled up with the produce that I had already purchased. (laughs) I almost never go to what you would call a regular supermarket. I go to a farmer's market. I have a, we have a a company here in Philadelphia called um, Philly Foodworks. And they are kind of a hub that connects farmers with consumers. So it's not just one farm that you're subscribed to. It's a network of farms. And every week their store goes live on Friday morning. You can pick out whatever you want from what's available and then they deliver it to your house. You know, mine comes on Wednesday. So that's my main source of food. And then I go to the farmer's market that I just mentioned to you every other week and we have a food co-op in my neighborhood. So those are my main places that I go to buy groceries. And I'm never like staring down an aisle of toothpaste while I'm shopping for food. That's a really special situation that you're in. A lot of people aren't in a situation that's quite so good. <laughs> but that's I think true. if they look for that in their area, they're going to find more of that than they expect. Right. It's kind of shocking how farmers market has have proliferated over the past 10 years. My mother lives in a suburban part of Philadelphia. And for many years, there was no legitimate producers, only farmers market. But now she has one of the best farmers markets in the region, very close to her house. Uh, so I think that it's more available than you might think. I noticed in some of the research that we have done about seasonal eating that, uh, I mean, in Colorado, there's lots of websites to be able to locate your local farmer's market. You know, it's like cofarmersmarket.com or something like is the is the website. And so I bet most states have something like that where it makes it really easy to find things that are local for you. Yeah. And if you're not in the city, it stands to reason that you'll be in a more suburban or rural area, in which case you may be near like actual farms. And many farms sell their whatever they produce right on the farm, which would be something that I would not I would be checking out my local farms if I lived in a place that had local farms. There's one right down the street from Ronnie. They grow it right there and then they sell it in the little stand. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things about food is the community aspect of it. It's just getting to share food with friends and just the enjoyment. That I comes remember from that. that. It's been a while. Oh, oh right. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. The global pandemic um, and all. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I was just going to say that the farmer's market has a similar feeling. I love the energy of a farmer's market and going w- with other people in your community. That that community aspect is there in a similar way as if you're sharing food over a table. Oh, yeah. Them. It's been so important to me during this pandemic. This mm-hmm. winter's farmer's market is hardly crowded, but just being able to see and talk to the producers themselves, like yeah. sometimes that's the most social interaction I get in the week, and I really appreciate it. That's awesome. So are there... Are foods that you're, are you really strictly an in-season eater or are you willing to go out of season for certain things? Like if they were grown in a greenhouse, I guess, how do you decide what you're going to eat out of season? I am not rigid about it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I get whatever kind of local seasonal things that I can get. And then if I want anything else, I just buy it. Like I, it's not unusual for me to have a carton of cherry tomatoes in January, February, or March. Um, I will try to seek out organic because of the environmental impacts um, of conventional farming, but I'm not even religious about that. You know, I'm not going to beat myself up over buying not organic broccoli. I think it's more important to eat a lot of vegetables than it is to like eat, be perfect about the vegetables you eat. 
I think there's some freedom in that for sure for our listeners who I, that's much more how I eat. That's much more how we cook at our house. And so, um, I think it's encouraging for people to know that it's okay to do that and not, or not try to pigeonhole people into only eating the foods that are in no, season. I mean, um, but, some people do that. And if that is something that gives you satisfaction and my hat is off to you, but for me, the top priority is eating a lot of vegetables and I would never discourage someone from buying vegetables because maybe they have a Walmart as their main store and maybe there's not a great selection of organic produce, like eat the, eat the non-organic produce, like, and eat a lot of it. That's my take. I think that's great advice. One thing that we, you know, have talked about, um, particularly with eating uh, vegetables in the winter and stuff is like, it's still okay to seek out like the frozen vegetables, like a lot of them, you know, are flash frozen. Frozen vegetables are excellent. Yeah. They're still retaining a lot of their nutrients and everything. It doesn't have to be just nothing, you know, something or nothing. <laughs> One thing I learned as a restaurant critic is all of those wonderful Brussels sprouts dishes you get at a restaurant, even fancy restaurants, they're almost always made with frozen uh, Brussels sprouts. Oh, Fro frozen Brussels sprouts can be fried, roasted, you know, like, and fr frozen broccoli, I think is always excellent. It's smart to always have frozen spinach, which can be so convenient. I love frozen kale or when I can get it. Yeah, I'm all for the frozen vegetables. It's really helpful, particularly when you can't get stuff from a farmer's market if it's in the dead of winter or you live somewhere where that's just not available. Do you find, uh, or I guess, what tips do you have for people who are trying to transition to a diet that's more vegetable heavy? I would say try different things. There's many vegetables out there and most people only eat like, I don't know, three or four types of plants. Um, expose yourself to the information. I think if you start reading about health and nutrition, it becomes more and more obvious that eating vegetables is sort of the most powerful prescription you can have to prevent the chronic diseases that most Americans, frankly, end up having. Um, for me, like the more I know, the easier it is for me to make decisions. And um, I just, I would say, look to different recipe sources. I have a lot of great plant-based cookbooks. There's many websites dedicated to plant-based cooking. Um, just see what's out there. Don't be afraid to experiment. I think one of the things that holds a lot of people back is maybe a lack of cooking skills or knowing the best way to prepare certain vegetables. Um, do you have like some, some tips or maybe like some favorite ways that are a little more universal as far as preparing your vegetables go? Sure. Well, I think there is no perfect way to prepare any particular vegetable, but one thing that a lot of people tend to like is a roasted vegetable. So I think crank your oven to 450, um, get whatever vegetable you have, like sweet potato, broccoli, um, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, oh, cabbage, many, most vegetables can be roasted. Um, toss it with enough olive oil just to film it, salt and pepper, spread it out on your baking sheet, and then cook it until it's brown around the edges and tender, which will vary depending on the vegetable. But most people really like that. And you can do like two big trays of it on the weekend and put it in the refrigerator. And now you have something that you can stick in a pita with hummus for a sandwich or add to a salad um, or heat up in the microwave and have it as a side dish if you're having, you know, something, something else. Um, puree it and do it into a dip with garlic and tahini sauce, like a roasted vegetable hummus, like put it on top of a pizza. It's, it's very easy. It, it just makes your cooking life easier. Yeah. Do you do a lot of meal prep at your house like that? Things like along yeah, those lines? I do. I like to do some prep on the weekend so that I have grab and go things. I always like to do a grain. I like, I do like to have a roasted vegetables if possible. Um, 
I like to make a sauce. You know, I vegan ranch is one of my favorite um, all-purpose sauces. It's good for the carrot sticks for like a snack or, you know, of course it makes it very easy to have a salad. You can dip roasted potatoes in it. And then this past week I made chimichurri, a big batch of chimichurri, which is that spicy, garlicky, vinegary herb sauce um, from South America, which I have had on black beans and just seared slabs of tempeh. Um, and it's, you know, it just makes it more fun. I, I think a sauce makes your food more fun in general. Um, and then if you if you have a salad green, you, sometimes it helps to chop your salad up ahead so you can just like grab it and put it in a bowl with your pre-made dressing. And yeah. So yes, I'm a big fan of prepping ahead. Uh, I love chimichurri. I think it's a great transition into the, the list of spring seasonal vegetables um, because herbs is one of the, it's, it's in season for spring. And so that was actually on my list. I love chimichurri. So the list is artichokes, asparagus, uh, broccoli, rob, rapini, oh. carrots, fava beans, herbs, leeks, peas, radishes, rhubarb, spinach, and strawberries. I love spring. Love spring because that's a great list. <laughs> yeah. I think it depends a lot on where you are. You know, I always get so excited for spring and March and April and very few of those things are actually there <laughs> right away. But you know they're coming. It's a it is an exciting time for when you love local food. That's the same for us. Living in a little cooler climate, little higher altitude climate, we definitely don't start seeing some of these things until a little like late spring. <laughs> um, I think asparagus is one of the first things that comes up that gets me super excited in the springtime. And my favorite thing to do, or one of my favorite things to do with spring asparagus, is to make it into a pesto. Um, I'm not sure when this episode is publishing, but I just wrote a recipe for asparagus pesto for the website Epicurious. And if, if the timing works out, I'll, if the link is available, I'll send it to you so you can share it, but it's really easy. You just basically put your asparagus in the blender with some basil and nuts and olive oil and salt and lemon juice. And then you have a delicious sauce for pasta or we also after I had leftovers from testing, I also used it on a pizza uh, instead of um, a red sauce. So that was a great one. Sounds really awesome. Asparagus is a great one to roast too, as I described a little earlier. I have really fond memories with asparagus because I don't know, in just our area, uh, we live, I mean, kind of in the north of the Denver metro area, but we still have lots of like like irrigation ditches that lead to farms and stuff. And growing up, there was always like a couple of irrigation ditches that we would, we knew the asparagus grew wild in. And we would oh, go wow. and like park the car out and cut a whole bunch of asparagus and take it home and eat it. So I love asparagus. I have no such memories growing up in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds Funny. amazing. Yeah. And so my husband grew up in Eastern Colorado and worked on farms and stuff like that. And we were driving out to visit some of his old friends one time. And he's like, do you know what that is? And I just looked out in this field and I was like, no, I have no idea. And it was in a field of asparagus. I don't, I'd never seen that before. So it's funny that you talked about that because that's kind of connected to my husband's childhood a little bit too. It was just wild to see a whole field of asparagus. <laughs> so you all have the good asparagus there in Colorado. Yes, so. <laughs> nothing, wrong with, nothing wrong with our Southeastern Pennsylvania asparagus. Although I did just eat some very out of season asparagus from Peru or something as I was working on that recipe because that's what I mean what are you going to do yeah that fresh any of these that are just fresh they just taste so good particularly yeah. strawberries like straight off the vine when they're just oh. beautiful and red and um 
the owner of Plain to Eat actually has a backyard full of strawberries. And so sometimes we'll have work meetings over at his house and go outside and grab some straw- fresh strawberries and just eat them straight out. I will straight, say, straight from being picked. if you've never had a ripe, locally grown strawberry, it's kind of like you've never had a strawberry. Mm-hmm. I think they're that different. Yeah, pretty life changing. <laughs> yeah. And when I get those, I don't really do a lot to them. Yeah, it's best yeah. to just eat them straight off of the plant. Sometimes we get like the alpine straw, like if you're hiking in the area around here, we have like alpine strawberries too, which are like small and a little tart. They're really good. You're a, you're like a forager, Ronnie. <laughs> I have some friends who are like actual foragers, so I do not consider myself that at all. <laughs> I don't think I've ever picked a food that I've eaten myself in my life. I'm a real city slicker. I guess that's a good question for you. How do you... um how do you make this? I mean, you've talked about this a bit with your CSA and things along those lines. But for people who are really new to this and they live in a city, would you be would your be a, oh my gosh, I can't speak. Um, what would your advice be to them? I actually think that most of us in cities are very well hooked up because there are typically many farmers markets and mm-hmm. uh, CSAs and buying clubs. It's often just a matter of like asking. Um, just ask on. Facebook or Google my city farmers markets or my city local veg- vegetables or it, you know edible magazines are all over the country if you live in my area and you pick up edible Philly like you're going to get a fire hose of information on local food in any issue um, so I think it's it's not that I think being in the city doesn't necessarily make you disconnected from your local food shed even if the farms are like 50 miles away, there's usually infrastructure to bring the food to you. Yeah. As somebody who's never lived in a city, I think my envisionment of it is uh, probably naive, but also I just envision all these people with window boxes and trying to grow their own little mini gardens on their roofs and things like there's that. There's some of that. Some people are yeah. actually really great at it. We grew a few things, a few edible things. And when I say we, I mean my <laughs> husband. I would never, I, I, I don't, I have kind of a black thumb, but he grew arugula and spinach that like really lasted into the cold weather. Uh, and that was fun. That's awesome. My grandmother lives in Georgia and she was picking vegetables from her garden um, even into early December. And mm-hmm. it's, it's wild. It's wild how, how varying growing seasons are across the country. Yeah, it's um, so true. That's something yeah. you learn about when you shop the farmer's market. You get to know the rhythm of when things are coming. Actually, during the whole pandemic, it really sort of like helped me keep track of time and give me gave me something to like really look forward to, you know, the strawberries are coming, you know, yeah. and then in the fall, the, the squash are going to start showing up. Did you have any, you mentioned your asparagus pesto, which sounds super yummy. Do you have any mm-hmm. other favorite ways to um, eat spring seasonal produce? Yeah, I mean, another one that I love in the spring is peas. I, I don't know if you had peas on your list, but those are extremely delicious, I think, just like steamed or um, boiled with a little bit of butter or vegan butter and salt as a just like a very springy treat. You can also mash them up and put them on toast for like a pea toast. They make a wonderful pasta filling if you're into making your own homemade fresh pasta, as I am really into lately. Um you can also sort of um, mix them with salads. I think uh, sometimes when you get like a super fresh pea at the farmer's market, it is so sweet and non-starchy that you can just like eat them raw on salad. 
you mentioned artichokes, which are wonderful, just simply steamed. The thing is with these like very fresh seasonal vegetables, a lot of times the preparation, the simpler, the better. You know, you don't want to be like taking some beautiful seasonal produce and like slathering it in some kind of heavy sauce or cooking it to death in the oven. So yeah, I guess that's my take is a simple approach really lets them shine. Well, the thing I love about eating seasonally is how um, just the flavor of the veggie itself is so bright and beautiful. And so I think that that pairs really well with that because yeah. when you're eating things in season, you don't have to cook them to death or over season them because they just taste so good already. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I mean, herbs are wonderful. You can basically chop any kind of herb and add it to your vinaigrette for that freshness and flavor or blend it into a a pesto. Pesto is one of my favorite all-purpose type. You can make pesto with kind of anything you pick up at the farmer's market, in my opinion. Um, but herbs are obviously a great choice for that. And um, yeah, and strawberries, as I said, I would never cook a strawberry, I don't think. A beautiful seasonal strawberry. Maybe put them in some ice cream. That's about as far, as far as I would go with that. And your cereal, I like them on pancakes or waffles. Maybe Maybe people don't necessarily know what to do with a broccoli rabe wrap or oh, broccoli rabe. Yeah, um, yeah. I wanted to talk about that. That's one of my favorites. It's a very Italian-American, it's an Italian-American staple and I really love it. And I think this, this is something I learned from a chef in one of my many conversations with chefs that had nothing to do with my restaurant reviews is you always want to blanch it first in a little bit of, or a lot of boiling water. You want to salt your water and then blanch it just maybe two minutes or so, and then um, drain it. And then to me, the only way to cook it is to saute it briefly in olive oil with tons of garlic and maybe some red pepper flakes. And it is really just the best. I can, I, I would be hard pressed to name a vegetable I like more. It's the per. it's great on its own, wonderful on toast, which as you're seeing is a theme with me or with pasta, also a theme. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm going to have to try that myself. I think I've only cooked it one or two times and I certainly didn't blanch it. So I'll have to start there this, this next time I the do it. Blanching like, takes away any bitterness from it. It, that's, it can really make a big difference. A lot of people think they don't like broccoli raw because it is a little bitter, but blanching just sort of removes that and makes it a much more lovable vegetable. You can also make pesto out of it. Another theme with you. <laughs> it does. It really, it does make a great pesto. Oh, the title of this podcast will be Put Your Vegetables on Toast or Make Pesto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then put in a pasta. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Vegetables awesome. and carbs are my life. <laughs> and beans. So what about fava beans? What do you what do you have for that? I have to be perfectly honest with you. I am never buying a fava bean at the farmer's market because of how labor intensive they are to prep. You okay. have to peel them. That you they, you know, they're in a pod, so you have to take them out of the pod, but then every bean has a skin on it that you have to peel off and it's not easy. So I love to cook, but I don't want to be in my kitchen for hours, like painstakingly peeling the skins off fava beans. So you can find them frozen. What I would suggest if you live in a place that has restaurants that focus on local food is to make sure you get out in the springtime and enjoy their fava based dishes. Because they're <laughs> making them, them well because they worked really hard on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Prep cooks do not love fava bean season, I'm sure. But um, I can't lie to you. And I have done it for work at times, but I'm not doing it on purpose for myself. 
And if you want to fall in love with cooking, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Unless that idea appeals to you. Some people can make it meditative for them, but not me. Good. Everybody know fava beans or maybe maybe we get that from, from local restaurants. You do <laughs> sometimes see at a farmer's market, a, a enterprising farmer will go through all the prep for you and sell it to you in a Ziploc bag for an astronomical price, but worth it. Good to know. Noted. It is good to, I mean, that is good to know because if somebody sees, you know, fava beans on the list, they're like, I've never had this. I'm going to go buy some. And then they buy them and they're like, well, that was a waste of money because I am not going to spend an hour getting these ready to cook. So it's probably good information to know that these are labor intensive. And if you don't want to be a labor intensive cook, not your sauce. I just want to be honest about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's one. Also, I hate taking the leaves off time. You know, when you get that's not something else. I will do it. I will. It's not like fava beans. I will do it, but I don't love it. And back when I ate animal products, I did not want to be peeling shrimp. You know, that's exactly where my mind went because um, I'm actually uh, recording this from my in-laws house. And um, last night we had a big, you know, just not big family, but a few family members over for dinner and we bought shrimp with the tail on. And so, but we were cooking them to go in something. And so I personally pulled the tail off of about, I don't know, maybe 75 shrimp it took quite a while who was this did did they have the shell on or did you get them without the shell on they did have they were without the shell but okay. they had the tail so i yeah. did have half the half the work done for me but yeah. still it took quite still a while just to get the tail mm-hmm. off. yep without you know losing half your shrimp you know by just ripping it off so. yeah that's not a fun kitchen prep job either yeah. but like when I'm telling you blanching your broccoli raw is no big deal it's really not that big of a deal and if you are going to serve it with pasta you boil that water, you put your broccoli wa- rob in there for a minute or two. You take your spider, your spotted spot spoon, you remove it out. Now your water's boiling for your pasta, you know? Oh, it's yeah. It's not hard. That's great. Mm. Yeah. So fava beans, steer away from bro- broccoli <laughs> rob, go for it. Unless you feel like it. If you want to do it, <laughs> do it. But I'm just telling you, I don't do it. No, I, we, our, our listeners are a lot of moms and dads who cook for their families. And so saving them time, it's a high priority for us. So if we can give them that great bit of advice, then it's, we're happy about it. Ronnie, what are your favorite spring seasonal recipes? Asparagus. Well, talking about asparagus again, I have this recipe in my account that's for a uh, grilled asparagus that you put on, like you make a sandwich and you make this um, smoky French dressing that you put on the sandwich with the grilled asparagus. And that is really yummy really good to like lunch kind of a sandwich um and i have a recipe that um joy you don't know this but all of our listeners have heard me talk about this recipe multiple times because <laughs> it's my all-time favorite recipe and it's uh chicken meatballs and then you roast carrots and you make a lemon yogurt sauce and so you know carrots and lemons are lemons are still a little bit in season in the spring so uh it's just it's an amazing recipe and every time somebody's looking for a new recipe it's the first recipe that I send them because it's so yummy it's good to have your favorites yeah we've talked about that recipe a lot of times I made it several times myself it's very good so the first thing I thought of when I looked at this list was a good risotto with with artichokes and peas and spinach in it yeah really yummy that was my first thing peas a pea risotto is a thing of beauty for sure it is. Uh, my niece made me some in the Instant Pot a couple of weeks ago, and that was really yummy and so fast. I always um, make my risotto in the Instant Pot now. I haven't made it the traditional way in years. 
you know, I still, I'm still doing it the traditional way, but after I saw her make it in the instant pot and I realized how hands-off it was, because if you've never made risotto, it's a lot of stirring, a lot of babysitting, a lot of, you know, getting your moisture levels right and things like that. Um, the, so the instant pot was so hands-off. It really made me want to do it that way. I actually think the instant pot makes the risotto better because oh, the reason you're doing all that stirring is you're agitating the, the grains of rice to release the starch. Well, in the pressure cooker, they're under so much pressure that the starches, all the starches release and you get a very beautifully creamy risotto. And I don't know how, um, when you saw it made recently, they did it, but my, the recipe I follow takes only, it's, you set the pressure cooker for seven minutes. Maybe it takes five minutes to come to pressure. Maybe it takes five minutes for you to prep the few things that you need to prep. So the whole thing is done in 20 minutes. That, my friends, is significantly faster than when you make it on the stovetop. <laughs> yes. And it, it does feel fancy when you're done. It's still fancy risotto. Mm -hmm. I would say, though, for if you're going to do a risotto with spinach and peas, I would, particularly if I was doing it in an Instant Pot, I would do the risotto first and then put the spinach and the peas in at the end just to warm through and melt and wilt down so you weren't like annihilating the these mm -hmm. delicate spring vegetables in the pressure cooker. That's great advice. Another recipe that I had was an antipasto salad with artichokes and um, any kind of herbs you like, but I would probably go with basil. Um, you could even add, you could even add whatever else you wanted to that spinach and peas. You could add and make it a really seasonal antipasto salad. Um, and then a strawberry cream cheese pie with fresh strawberries, not cooked. <laughs> we had this strawberry cream, cream cheese pie at a restaurant in Hawaii uh, several years ago. And it's been my mission to recreate it. And I think I finally found a recipe that just does it justice. I have um, a question. Is yeah. a cream cheese pie a cheesecake? No. Well, that's a good question. What's the difference? <laughs> well, it's not that you don't bake it. So it's not like a baked cheesecake. I suppose you can do a no-bake cheesecake also. Just wondering. When you were saying cream cheese pie, I was like, I've never heard of that. There's not a lot of food in the world I haven't heard of. What is a cream cheese pie? And then I thought, oh, I think it's a cheesecake. <laughs> Since you're a professional, let me run it past you and you can tell me what makes a difference. <laughs> um, it's like a graham cracker crust and then it's like a cream cheese. Um, and what's in the filling? It's no um, bake though. You said, right? I would call no it bake. a no bake cheese. Right. So let's see. So it's cream cheese and powdered sugar and vanilla and a little bit of heavy whipping cream to just mm -hmm. soften it a lot and really get it like really smooth and creamy. Um, you pour that into the pie crust and then you top it with strawberries and then you yeah. refrigerate it. So it's basically That's what I would think of it as, isn't it? but you know what? Naming recipes is part of the fun. So if the person who created that recipe <laughs> felt the pie vibes, then that's their prerogative. I was just trying to place it in my brain. <laughs> Maybe this person just really likes pie. Like pie is their number one and cake is secondary. So like we're going to call everything pie if we can. But it's delicious, which is the most important thing. <laughs> it's very delicious. I'm you know, you're a professional foodie. And so I got a little nervous when you asked me that question because I felt like I was on the spot and I didn't know the answer. <laughs> we were just thinking it all through together. I was like, what kind of professional am I that I've never heard of cream cheese pie? <laughs> I might find out it's a whole category of desserts that I just don't know anything about. Maybe you can get back to us if you learn something about that. But maybe next time you're at a restaurant and your interest is peaked, it'll be on a menu and you can order it. <laughs> I don't think I have any additional questions now. So, Joy, do you want to then just give us a little rundown of where people can find you if they want to connect with your writing or your articles or anything sure. like that? First, I just want to say thanks again for having me. It was so fun to talk spring produce. I'm really, really excited 
that it's coming eventually. I mean, of course, it's not a secret. You, we're recording in advance. So hopefully by the time this um, airs, we'll all be up to our eyeballs in asparagus at least. Um, yes. And if you want to follow along on my home cooking adventure, please uh, follow me on Instagram at Joy Manning. That's really the best place to keep up with what I do. I sort of post all of my my stuff there. I also do have I was um, telling uh, Ronnie and Riley before we started recording that my own podcast is on hiatus, but you can still listen to it for lots of great home cooking advice. Um, it's called Local Mouthful, and you can find it anywhere podcasts are given away for free. There's, I think, more than 300 episodes. Oh, that's awesome and a great resource for our listeners. Thank you You're for so sharing welcome. that. What, what about your work with Epicurious? Oh, right. Yes. I actually just wrapped up a trio of plant-based uh, recipes for the spring season, one of them being the asparagus uh, pesto that we discussed. And I hope that if it publishes in time, we can share the link in the show notes. I will keep you posted. And of course, if not, just follow me on Instagram. I'll be shouting it out there as well. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Joy. We have loved it and you have been a joy. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to connect with all of the recipes that we have mentioned in this episode, previous episodes, and any episodes in the future, we now have a plan to eat account and you can get access to all of the recipes that we've ever talked about on the podcast. Simply go to planty.com forward slash P-T-E pod and you can automatically connect with that account and get all of our favorite recipes. So again, and we'll see you in the next episode. 